Welcome to part one of Health System CIO's interview with William Walders, CIO at Health First. In this segment, Walders talks about the big test his team faced when a hurricane was headed in their direction, how Health First is planning to pivot into the digital health space, and the questions he needed answered before taking on the CIO role. I think the best place to start is the overview of Health First, just what you have in terms of number of hospitals, some of the other services, and where you're located. Yeah, sure. So we're $2 billion integrated delivery network, a not-for-profit system. We have four hospitals and aggregate about almost 900 beds. We have four distinct lines of business, as an IDN would. We have outpatient wellness division, the hospital division, the medical group, and then we have our own health plan, which has about 164,000 members. A lot of changes going on at Health First, a lot of growth, a lot of construction, a lot of plans to grow the health plan and some other lines of business. So really exciting opportunity and time to, to be at Health First. Yeah. And you're in the central Florida region? Yeah. So it's predominantly Brevard County. So if you know anything about the expression Space Coast, you know, where Cape Canaveral mm-hmm. is, Titusville, 45 minutes west of Orlando, there's a uh, strip, if you will, of county right along the beach. Probably doesn't extend much much more inland than 40 or 50 miles, and, and that's primarily our focus. We've entered some partnerships lately that are going to help us grow across the state, but right now that, that's our focus. Okay. And at this point, are you an independent organization, but then, as you said, just looking to do some types of like affiliations, things like that? Yeah, so we are locally owned. We've entered a joint venture with Advent Health. So they bought a portion of our IDN. Our board has made a commitment that we'll always stay locally owned, so there was no option to buy us wholly, not even a majority share. It was definitely a minority share. But the general idea is that uh, the organization can remain independent while having access to more um, resources. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've we've got some great growth strategies partnered with them where we we do things really well and where they do things really well. And as I mentioned earlier, we we hope to partner with them to grow a, a lot of our services across the state of Florida. Right. I think that across the industry, we're starting to see more of that, which is very refreshing and I think uh, seems to make sense. So you've been with the organization since the summer, correct? Yes. Okay. And we, as we mentioned, we were supposed to, to speak earlier, but the organization was in disaster preparation mode. And I can imagine that was an interesting thing to have happen so soon into your tenure, but Can you talk a bit about how the organization approached the situation and what some of the challenges were? Sure, yeah. I have to say, you know, I've been in every natural disaster imaginable with the exception of of a volcanic eruption. I've been in 800 feet underwater on a submarine during a tsunami. I've been in many earthquakes. I've been in wildfires, responded to the Haiti earthquake nine years ago. So, frankly, it didn't bother me. And I grew up in Florida. The beauty of this natural disaster is we have often too long to prepare because you start to get antsy. Having been in your seat roughly three months when that occurred, I was ridiculously impressed with the level of preparation and the amount of rigor that the organization at large has with hurricane preparedness. Mm. One of the first things I did when I got here, sat down with the the binder. There's a six-inch binder. It felt like a phone book when I went looked through it. So a lot of rigor, a lot of process. And and thankfully, we had very minor issues as a result of the storm. I think it's widely known, you know, turned to the north and didn't Regrettably, you know, had a significant impact on the Bahamas, not so much for us, but got an opportunity, in essence, to have a live fire three-day dig deep and uh, and do what you would normally do for a hurricane and, and learned a lot from that. So I guess tangential to that and specific to probably why things you care about. 
this organization has had a very steep learning curve when it comes to resiliency. A couple of years ago, I don't think I'd be able to say the following things, but we had tools in place that could tell us long before my peers and facilities and clinical engineering and other places uh, when things were down. I mean, we saw some stuff from a network monitoring perspective. We have hundreds of buildings here, and we watched, you know, a physician clinic come offline. We watched our helicopter hangar come offline, and IT was at the table contributing, being a strategic element and a tactical one. And again, two years ago, I don't think we'd have been able to say that. So Health First has made significant investments in IT. There's a level of understanding of how important it is to what we do and um, continues to make significant investments. We expect about a a 20% growth in all things resources for FY20, both capital, operating expense, to include salaries. Right. Okay. Um, Having a disaster preparation planning, I can imagine that's something that's going to be evolving and is not static. It's kind of an ongoing thing. Was there anything that maybe changed this time around or anything that was added to it, or was it something where pretty much followed what was in place? Oh, no, we definitely added to it. I think we learned a lot of lessons Mm -hmm. from some storms from last year, some tabletop exercises. In particular, having a senior leader in the command center from IT driving um, a lot of the decision-making, to include myself uh, leading it for the latter part. In the past, it was more of a reporting, one omnidirectional conversation. It was just IT, quick report out, as opposed to being collaborative, strategic, working hand-in-hand with the other senior leaders at the organization. Right. And I'm sure part of that is getting staffing ready or having that in place. But which I'm sure is tricky because we don't know exactly what's going to happen, especially with a hurricane. But I would imagine it's a priority to make sure that there are enough people available. Yeah, we do a very mature thing here where we have pre-storm, during storm, and post-storm. And everyone knows their roles. It includes a response time to return back as those transition. Uh, Again, pretty much all the senior leaders are present making these decisions on when we transition staff. You can imagine if the hurricane would have been as bad as we thought it was, you want as few people around as possible, to, people to account for their families and, and such. So it's quite an interesting dynamic. And I was, one, impressed by the level of rigor and preparedness that we did have, and two, the fact that people actually followed it, <laughs> you know, yeah. regardless. So, because we were we planned it about three days out for the pre, and at that time it was a Cat 5 hurricane coming right for us, meaning if you were in this county, your house and family may not be there when you left the job for your responsibilities. So it was interesting to see everybody come together and everyone, you know, all the needs were met. In fact, we had zero issues. Having been in the command center, I can attest to this, zero issues when it came to personnel, either accountability or responsibility. Right, yeah, that's very impressive. So having uh, stepped into uh, this role fairly recently, in terms of the timing, I'm sure that uh, plans for 2020 were already in place, but how did that work as far as when you came in? Was there a need to make some changes as far as what the priorities were? Yes, absolutely. So the plans were in place. After a quick assessment, and thankfully the incumbent, you know, he and I had about a month of turnover, so I could get an idea of of why the priorities were there, get an understanding and assessment of my own, and then modify accordingly. Mm -hmm. So I did have the opportunity to greatly shape Mm -hmm. our fiscal year 20 priorities, uh, and frankly, then get bullish of additional resources from that assessment to get Health First, to have IT match where Health First is going for FY20. Right. You touched a little bit on, on some of the, the growth, some of the plans. Can you get into what are really going to be the main focuses for uh, for 2020? For IT or the IDN? Um, I would say the IDN because I imagine that, that IT's goals are aligned. Yeah, they're aligned. And, and IT has some, you know, very tactical ways to do 
the high-level things that the IDN wants to do. But in essence, you know, mm-hmm. our CEO, Steve Johnson, is, wants us to get into the digital space, right? We're calling it the pivot. Right. So, you know, we are in a unique part of Florida um, where we don't have a large health system here. It's us. You know, we have a pretty significant portion of the market. As forces around us, Orlando, Jacksonville, Miami, and even across the nation, are starting to see healthcare become a more digital-centric environment and more consumer-centric, right? Having tools in the patient's hands, in the provider's hands for that matter, that are drastically different than, you know, what we remember from IT five to 10 years ago. We would be the first to concede at HealthFirst we're far behind in the consumerization movement. We don't have a prolific set of tools to do portals, to do, you know, anything digital. You can kind of step through the gamut. Did an assessment here. We've had an external entity do an assessment. Uh, we've got a roadmap to how we're going to, you know, really enable the consumer to um, drive their own health care, to improve access, to provide ease and convenience for our customer, and then in the end, end result being to delight them, right? Our CEO is really big on digital culture, right? He cites Amazon and Uber and even Starbucks and some of these other disruptive companies across all brands, not just healthcare. And, you know, we want to be like those companies. Right now, our customers can order a latte and walk in and pick it up, minimal interaction if that's their desire. Mm-hmm. We would like to do the same thing with labs, RADs, ancillaries, appointmenting, scheduling, all of that, and we will. Right. And, of course, that there's a whole lot that needs to happen to uh, enable that. And in terms of looking at where he is right now, first off, what do you have in terms of the EHR systems in the hospitals and clinics? Yeah, so we have, like many hospital systems, we have something in the magnitude of hundreds of different applications. Our primary EHR for ambulatory, we just transitioned from GE centricity to Athena Privia. So if you know Privia's model, it's an overlay on top of Athena. For us, that's an entirely managed service from Privia for all things ambulatory. Yeah, and then all scripts for, in essence, everything non-ambulatory. So SCM, Sunrise Clinical Manager. Okay. You know, we, having just transitioned from GE, we saw some legacy instances, right? You never fully transition. And we'll support GE centricity until the last user has transitioned to Privia. Um, but however long ago, August 20th was, is when we did our go live with Privia. And I've been a member of many go lives most recently with Cerner deployment and DOD to their alpha through Delta sites in the Pacific Northwest. And we had the most seamless go live ever. It was ridiculous. We were all kind of in awe that we didn't have any major issues. <laughs> Nothing failed. No one ever hinting at the fact that they wanted to pivot their chair to the legacy EHR. It was ridiculously seamless. And it just goes to, it predates me, a testament to the preparation of the uh, both our vendor partners and then to the staff themselves, and most notably the providers on preparing for this. Right. Okay. I'm sure that that's a bit of an interesting position, though. As you said, this, the wheels were, were clearly already in motion, but coming in, I'm sure you're still involved in it. So was that kind of a unique situation? Yeah, I had two pretty overarching questions when I was interviewing in the spring. Uh, one was mm-hmm. the partnership with Advent because no CIO wants to come to an organization that's potentially being bought or even merged right. with because things tend to go in one direction or another. So I had full assurance and then proven to me on the fact that we were still going in the direction that was independent of any acquisition. And then, you know, I could have then the scope of responsibility and authority to do what HealthSource needed me to do. And then the second one was, why we had made this decision to select Athena um, Privia as an EHR and as to why. I asked the board a lot of questions, asked uh, my leadership a lot of questions, and was more than ecstatic with the answer. And it, it primarily drives around, again, that consumerism uh, approach to healthcare, you know, with almost turnkey from an ambulatory perspective on all the things that we needed to do as 
as a health system and providing, you know, online scheduling, the ability to message your provider, have a single portal for, you know, your PHR. So I was happy when I was interviewing with the requirements that were set forth and then inherited it for about three months and made sure that they delivered and, and they have. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.